It's Book Rats. It's Book Rats. <laughs> Welcome to Book Rats. Uh, the, the number one uh, book podcast. Uh, we're your hosts. I'm Alex Bennett. I'm Caroline Gorman. I'm Stephen Garcia. And hey, welcome. Uh, this is a book podcast where we we read the books, but we don't really read them, and then we talk about them. We do uh, really read them. We do really read. Them. I just mean, not well. But, but <laughs> I mean, even if you even if you want, like, you couldn't fucking prove it, even if you wanted to. So we can say whatever that <laughs> we could be. Okay, have you ever heard of this podcast, Crime Junkies? They fucking six years of just plagiarism. We could be reading the Wikipedia article on Augustine. You have no idea. But welcome uh, to this. Not <laughs> so welcome to this podcast. Podcast. Uh, uh, and thank you for joining us. So today we are reading books <laughs> one through six of the Confessions. I don't know why we're laughing. By Saint. Augustine of Hippo. 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 Uh, Hippos are cool. Yeah. yeah, he was a Berber of North Africa in 346. Is, is a date I have written here. It's either the date he died or the date he was born. I don't, I didn't write right. down which. But he that's, was, it, that's one born. of the relevant yeah. dates. Was, sure. it, there was a three the on point, his birth certificate. Exactly. Yeah. yeah, like you don't care if it was 312 or 346. The point is 3rd century. And it was it was the 3rd century at when it was like normal numbers, not backwards numbers. Yeah. Correct. This is after. AD, yeah. yeah. I guess, be, yeah, because yeah. Jesus had to have been born. Yeah, yeah. For <laughs> That'd be great. Like he was like this, like this, like this whole pre, pre-cognition. Pre, uh, Pre-Christian, like, hey, yeah. All yeah. this shit is about to go down, guys. <laughs> but let me just lay it down real quick. Mm. Romans have no idea what's coming yeah. into them. So anyway, he was a, a Manichean for a while, and then a Neoplatonist. And Which then... are all these? Uh, for those who don't who don't know, those are like crazy philosophical. Oh, I don't know from... what they mean. I just think the words are cool, the, uh, the... particularly Manicheanism. I mean, they're they're like ancient schools of their religions that existed. I well, knew that. Like not, I don't know. I mean, I knew we're that. not pheasants. Okay? <laughs> we may be uneducated, but we're not pheasants. I mean, yeah, thank like... you. We're rats. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, <You> can't fly, <laughs> guys. This next one I have is really good. So he's the patron saint of brewers, printers, and the alleviation of sore eyes. Given a given a like an honorary position at Xerox. Yeah. Yeah. He was the Bishop of Hippo Regis, which I read as the regal hippo. The regal. In <laughs> Anababa, in current day Anababa, Algeria. Ooh, so Anababa. the funny thing about that is that there were two bishops, two, of that particular diocese. At the same time. At the, the same, same time, time. which yeah. hardly ever happens, even in today, today's yeah. version of, Why you know, Catholic. Dis- because... Because that area, like, they have a very specific dialect, and Augustine knew that area of dialect, and he could relate to the people a lot better than the Pope, than the Pope. Obviously better than the Pope, (laughs) but better than the bishop that was there at the time. So he was like, and, the, and that other bishop was like just old, frail, and crusty, and was about to die. But he hadn't yet. He yeah. hadn't had he the hadn't grace yet. to die yet. He hadn't so. grace to die, but he was like, eh, fine, go for it, or whatever. So that's yeah. how that started and everything. Yeah. So Augustine was a guy living in this region of North Africa, and he was a, a oratory teacher, right? I mean, yeah. we'll get into that because he. He talks about so he talks crazy. about his life pretty extensively in this book. Yes, as and it turns in out, great detail. Yeah, yes. like explicit detail. Like, yeah, I'm reading this like this wrote somebody wrote this back then and published it 
and yeah. he's still a saint. For <laughs> what he did. It's a I well I one thing we might want to go over before we dive in is that this is a religious this is the first explicitly religious text that we've covered. Yes. And we should probably say like what our allegiances are. I guess, but but more, yeah. Uh, frankly, frankly, I'm a Manichean. I, I think Augustine was wrong to abandon the true faith of Manny. But uh, more to, to like say that like you don't have to be Catholic or even Christian to read this book and get something out of it. Which I think is important for you to say because I think you're the. Only non-Christian, not only non-Christian at the table. table. Yeah. Yeah. Only non-Christian. Yeah, I'm a man so be sure to say <laughs> lots of positive, nice things about reading this book. Right, and y'all need to say really negative things about the Christian faith to balance it out. That's fair. I'm Catholic. <laughs> I'm Catholic. That's easy. That's easy enough for me to do. I mean, I was Methodist. Because yeah. Uh, yeah, yeah. of the recent, because of the, yeah. the, the the whole congregation, how they. Yeah, that, yeah, that was pretty fucked they, up. Yeah. That was pretty fucked up. I have taken a more conservative turn. Yeah. Anyway, not the anyway, point. Uh, that's that's for that's a kind different of ironical podcast. for me yeah. saying that's, that's fucked from, up. Yeah. yeah saying that I'm Catholic. Catholic yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Damn, dude. <laughs> See, it's easy for me to make, it's easy for me to make fun of it. It's not hard. That, there is there is an advantage when you have a church that's just it's just like. Okay, there's some bullshit involved, right? <laughs> there's some bullshit involved. Let's it's get not it all out of It's not these fucking psycho evangelicals. Yeah. That, uh, yeah. So, uh, since you're the non-religious person, and we're taking our time getting to the question, why don't you tell us what it is you got out of this as a non-religious person reading a book by a saint? Ooh, that's a good ooh. Ooh. Um, ooh, ooh. Uh, <laughs> I have a lot of questions. Uh <laughs> Uh, and not in the, not in the like yeah, sounds seems like pretty, Augustine. Seems pretty pretty illogical. Uh, not like that, but uh, philosophical questions because I think that that when you strip away the the history of the church and people's personal relationships to it, there is some underlying philosophical beliefs in a lot of this stuff that I feel like you could be an atheist and still have a similar philosophical outlook to a Christian. Or you could be an atheist and have something completely different. Yeah. Like there's there's like a metaphysics, a, a belief in how the world the world is organized that is Christian, but is not uniquely so. Right. There's right. Yeah. Philosophy and theory of knowledge and ethics and yeah. other things. Right. Yeah. So I guess in like the like theory of knowledge, that's epistemology. Yeah. Epistemology. Yeah. So not that we're doing isms, but just because it's eventually analogy. it's. Yeah, we didn't, we didn't, there was no <laughs> rules about ologies. No, there's no rules about ologies. But, um, I did find something before we, cause that, I'll, my question, the starting question relates somewhat to what you just said. Yeah. Wait, don't you have a confession to make first? Sorry. Right. You're right. I do have a confession to make. Uh, we're reading the confessions. Um, so we're reading books one through six of the confessions, and yeah. these books are relatively short. Maybe, um, ten, yeah, fifteen pages long. They have these them. small, like one or two paragraph one, chapters, one, yeah. and there's like, yeah. Um, and we were supposed to be reading as a group. We had previously we all agreed agreed to we ourselves. committed ourselves fucking committed <laughs> to a schedule together. <laughs> 
<laughs> someone, me, decided not to adhere to it. So I can't, I've only read up to about midway through. I have about 10 pages left of the third book. Um, Which but, honestly, that's the that's the juicy stuff. That's the intellectual stuff. Is the first two books? Yeah, and it was, and so I can't, and I won't. Um, in the interest of being fair and honest, uh, I won't make any references to any of the other books, uh, like books four through six, mainly because I have no idea where to look, <laughs> and I don't even know what they say. And, and so that happens. All the time in book clubs and stuff like that. And you shouldn't feel ashamed if you don't hit the goal because, yeah. like, people get busy, people have stuff. Yeah. And actually, Stephen's in a really good position to help keep me and Alex really honest and clear because if we say something, you know, referring to the books you haven't read and it isn't crystal clear what we're saying, oh, yeah, okay. ask us to explain it further uh, and that might actually be more useful to the conversation yeah. in some ways yeah and it kind of works out because the first two books are much more philosophical in nature and books three through six are more about his personal story it's more narrative it's easier to relate in that way yeah that's true yeah. but i do have one um cool uh, little uh, easter egg that i found mm -hmm. um it's on page 38 it's in book two in adolescence but it's about the fifth line down or something and this is not this is not this has nothing to do with the podcast but she therefore started up in devout fear and trembling and when i saw it, i was like oh i know those three words devout fear and no fear, fear and trembling, trembling. that's mm -hmm. kierkegaard oh yeah so Fuck. that's where i was that's like, where he got it he stole his title from augustine that little prick <laughs> So when I saw that, I was like, oh, he like, and I don't, I don't know. I've never read Kierkegaard. But I was like, I wonder if he got his idea for the name for fear and trembling. Um, yeah. From it's in my uh, translation too. So that's probably. I found one of my favorite prayers from another author, basically here in Augustine. <laughs> like, oh, yeah. I, yeah. I read it and I was like, oh. <laughs> that's, <laughs> that's, yeah. Oh, okay. <laughs> but, um, so <clears throat> this week is my turn to do the question. Alex kind of brought it up earlier as being someone who's non Christian, non religious. Yeah. But this book is very heavily related. Super, super religious. It's a very religious text. And if you're someone who is, I think they're called, um, it's like exvangelicals or something like that, like mm -hmm. who have lost the faith and like who are trying to find the faith back or whatever. Or deconstruction, or, or yeah, like if they're and came from, or like if you're yeah. deconstructing your faith, okay. and if you're reading this again for the first time after you've completely de deconstructed your faith, this can be a little bit jarring because of how many times he mentions God and how intimate his work is with God. Right, like he's having a one-on-one -on -one conversation with God where he is more like talking to God. Mm -hmm. As opposed to God is really listening. Now, the mm -hmm. interesting thing is that if you're reading this in that light of someone who is not religious mm -hmm. or someone who is uh, finding their faith back again or if they're deconstructing their faith. Is that you? Yes, that's me. It's kind of interesting. Like when you first read it, you know, like just seeing a couple of passages like, Oh, merciful God, I confess to you, Lord of heaven and earth. It's like, 
Like, I am barely figuring out who God is again. And it really forces you to think, like, who is he really talking to? Like, if you're coming from this from a non-religious background, or if you're finding your faith out again, it's really, it's made me wonder, like, who God really is. And he does a really good job about explaining who that is. He says that God is everything and everyone, right, in the first book. He's saying that God is everything and everyone and that, you know, if he is everything and everyone, and this goes back to set theory a little bit for us math people. That's for <laughs> our separate podcast, Garden Sharks. That's for... <laughs> but how he says that if God is part of each and every one of us, right, mm. wouldn't, we, wouldn't it be equivalent to say that we are each and every one part of God? From a, like, if you were to see it like as a set, if we are right. each part of it. Are we part of the same substance? The are we same... part of the same substance? Are we part of the same thing? Right. Hmm. So, my question to you is, is that, like, he's presenting this whole idea of God as this completely divine thing. The way that I've come to see it is that there's a shared, like, kind of like out there, like, there's a shared somewhat sort of consciousness that we were able to talk to one another, that we're able to communicate with one another. Right. What if, maybe, if like, if you see God that way, it's like, oh, God, hear me. Alas, for the sins of humankind, you know, I'm just reading certain parts. I'm just not, I'm not directly quoting anything. But right. Like, like, how does one, how can one person, how does, how does somebody read this and not, like, chuck the book across the room for being a very religiously heavy book? Like, like how do they... How do they approach it from the perspective of someone that doesn't believe already? Or we kind of have several questions, right? Yes. So the first one is like, you know, who like he's and I and maybe he addresses it further on in the book. Well, um, yeah. Um, like who he thinks God is. Okay. You know, like and what his presence is. Yeah. So who is? Who is God in this? Talking to? Yeah, who, who is does he, he talk- think God is? Yeah, who does right. he think God is? Maybe some separate questions, actually. Right. Who is he addressing? What does he think God is? Because he's a rhetorician. Right. Addressing God is... I thought he was mostly addressing the audience, actually. Right, yeah. At one point, he even says something like, what, like, what am I saying? Like, I'm talking to you directly. You know everything I'm thinking. Like, I'm clearly talking to you in the presence of... Where is that? When he's saying this to God. Yeah. yeah, and then he says, "Why am I bother saying this yeah, to you? You already know." To whom it, this is in book two? To whom I am narrating all this? Not to thee, O oh my God, but to my own kind in thy presence, to that small part of the human race who may chance to come upon these writings. So he's like, he's clearly talking to us. God has already heard his confession. I guess. But I, I think I think what Stephen was getting at as well is that we are also a part of God. Yes, yes. Um, according to Augustine. So he is, in addressing humans, also addressing God. Right. Right. Are we, maybe this is another another question, but um, are we completely comprised in God? Like, are, we, are like is there any part of, according to Augustine, any part of us that is independent from God in some way? Or are we entirely 100% determined from God? I think... And I see this more so in adolescence in his second book, um, that we are all, from Augustine's perspective, that we are all intertwined in God. And the way, the reason why I think that is because 
he places a huge amount of emphasis on human connection to one another. Does. You know, yeah. and how he says that infants from a very early age, they want to communicate with with someone else. Right. They don't know how to do that and that the he the way that I'm seeing is that he sees the gift of language not necessarily mm-hmm. as a gift, but as a necessary tool for him to communicate with others or for him to be able to relate to others. Right. And so that's how he can communicate with as another subject of God and another subject of God. Right. Like this is his whole way of trying to really experience God mm-hmm. fully is to communicate with everyone else. Right. This is more like in the first book than in the second book, because in the second book, you know, that's where he talks about like how much of a fuck up he is. Right. Feels really weird calling a saint to fuck up. Uh, <laughs> but he was. Um, so that's just what like I think is just that he's this desire to communicate, that's what makes him like that's really like that's him trying to communicate with God amongst everyone else. Like from a child's perspective. I I agree. But it's it's the act of communication is sort of deeply conflicted probably most things about human because humans because we're trying to connect with other humans, which he establishes as coming from a good desire. But he also talks about how even words are transient and evanescent. Yeah. Um, like worldly things. Yeah. And so it, it, there's a good desire to communicate and reach out, but we have to do it through words. I mean, even this very sentence I'm speaking has to pass through time. <laughs> I have to get to right. the end of it somewhere. It's just been a really long sentence. <laughs> but like, <laughs> Wait, so when, when you say a sentence, it goes through time. Yes. And, and, it, and it... It keeps going and going. <laughs> well, yeah. What the makes... fuck? Well, it's true. Though, right, yeah, yeah. Even if you read a sentence silently, you still pass through it sequentially through time, right? I think I'm very slowly losing my mind. <laughs> um, it makes sense. Yeah, the yeah. method of reaching out to other people is sort of it's a very down linear by thing. It's a very that linear is not process. eternal. Mm-hmm. Right? Yeah. Is, you, everything I, is dead. Everything. Everything in this mortal world is dying in some way. It has. It, it is born. It lives and it dies. Right. It goes through that whole cycle. So when you say a sentence, it's like it's being born. It's like a little yeah. baby. And the, it very quickly ages. It's like a baby that you put in front of the Ark of the Covenant. Yes. It's real is. fucked up. <laughs> it's true. It's true, though. Yeah. yeah. I'm going to read the direct the quote that says that. <laughs> Wait, what? what? Wait, what not, the, not the Ark of the Covenant. Not, not, not the dead baby joke? No. Sorry. It's number four, Stephen. It's chapter 10. Uh, what uh, page is it for us? Oh, uh, 87. Yes. Helpfully subtitled Transience of Created Things. Uh, this was one of my absolute favorite chapters. Okay. Okay, okay. Here's, here's a good one. Even as they, beautiful things, arise and stretch out towards existence, the more quickly they grow and strive to be, the more swiftly they are hastening towards extinction. That is the law of their nature. You have endowed them so richly because they belong to a society of things that do not all exist at once, but in their passing away and succession together form a whole, of which the several creatures are parts. So it is with our speaking, as it proceeds by audible signs. 
It will not be a whole utterance unless one word dies away after making its syllable heard and gives place to another. Also, what's with our, all of our book choices on these authors that have strong opinions on language? <laughs> <laughs> That's true. Yeah, all the, everybody, yeah. everyone that we've chosen so far has had very deliberate... Well, I mean, maybe that will be the thing that we'll right. notice throughout is that these are all extremely deliberate yeah. um, writers. I mean, the reason maybe that they're such great authors is because they have thought so much about language itself too yeah that was going to be like another thing that i wanted to ask like do you think he would he realized what he was writing when he was writing it what do you mean because this is seen as one of the fundamental pillars of western thought this book i feel like you're asking me if i thought he was arrogant enough to know this was going to be a great book or if he knew or if he knew that he was like i'm gonna drop i'm gonna fucking drop something on people right now i mean he was a a rhetoric master yeah he was yeah he he knew how to turn a phrase i think so yeah which to be honest kind of clashes with the idea of him as a saint for some reason right just imagine him doing that fuck up that smile yeah yeah And this wasn't even like his best red work too either. The other one that was more uh City of God and um on the on the Trinity or something like that. I've never heard But of that City of God yeah. is like his like that's what everybody like that's what he's most known for, but the confessions have made a comeback in yeah. recent years. So we're talking about uh existing in a world where everything is sort of decaying or dying. Like, yes. nothing, nothing has any permanence. But, and this is part of what I read, in their passing away and succession together form a whole. That's odd to me, because we're saying that this succession of life and death forms a whole in the context of a work about a divine and presum- presumably eternal God. Right. Yeah, like, like this, this imperfect world, this world of constant cascading time, uh on its on the whole has a sort of independent immortality that we might compare to a god and is very different than the type of immortality that he describes in god which right. is yes. which is eternal uh omnipotent uh it's everywhere at once it inhabits every good adjective and none of the bad ones it's indivisible, it's indivisible. it doesn't have parts that make it up right but this is about parts of a whole right which is which is something that I would, as I was reading through this, um, uh, often I was thinking like he he has such a harsh view towards ma- the material world, towards like at various points, yeah. he scolds himself for being friends with someone, like <laughs> yeah. like he's he's harsh on himself for having friendships, for have for experiencing love. He thinks for, children sin when they ask for food. Yeah, it's they're greedy and jealous. Yeah. It's remarkably austere. Like it's a very colorless world that he seems to be proposing, and and yet, if we follow that logic, he's or, or rather. Uh, when I was initially reading through it, I was having a hard time understanding, like, why not just die? Like, why does <laughs> why does this world exist? Why? Yeah. What's like, the point? What's of the it? point of like of raking yourself over the coals and not allowing yourself to participate in anything? Right. Like, it's it's kind of the a fundamental problem with Christian th- or not a problem, but a a point of contention in Christian theology is the problem of evil. Right. Like, does why does evil exist? Why do we live in this imperfect world? Why 
And if the world is imperfect, why? Why? Why bother? bother? Why yeah. Bother? Why bother? Yeah. Like if this is just a a way station to where where the stuff gets good is in the next life. But like, he doesn't seem to think that. He yeah. seems to think that being religious and doing it right in this life leads to more joy. Yeah. There's, there seems to be, it's almost like the process itself is what he, he raises to the level of divinity, is the, the process of living and dying, not the things that, the, that are living and dying themselves. So the way that I, and maybe this is addressed later on in, his, in the later books, but the way that I was seeing it is that he, he grows into virtue. Like he, he doesn't like start out virtuous because he really doesn't. Starts off as this, like I said, he starts off as a fuck up and then he realizes that everything that he's been searching for, it's all very, um, it's hollow. There's no right. substance to it. That, that the Manicheans, that what they were, he was on the right path, but just like kind of like on like a parallel he forked piece yeah. of shit. He made path. a desire. He made right, a desire. Yeah. The, and he even, he, he even talks about at one point that evil is imitation of holiness it's not its own separate mm-hmm. substance it's it's an imitation of of what's right so like even if you're on the path for knowledge and trying to pursue like a holy or or religious life in some way as he was for most of his life being a manichean that's still not enough that's still like there's only one path there's only one way let's see if i can try to find the quote let's... i'm trying i think you're mentioning the manichaeans when you're saying that, because when you're saying that, you're saying that there's a there's a sense of duality, that there's a good God and that there's a bad God, and that because that's what the Manichaeans were right. about. They were saying that there was, that there was uh, the way the way that I wrote it on here, and it's a parable that's not addressed in the book, but it's it's applicable. It's the two wolves parable, right. or like you know you have one wolf that represents everything that's good, and you have one wolf that's represent represents everything that's bad. Mm-hmm. And then, and that they're fighting, you know, right. they're in this constant battle. Yeah, and then, and then, and then, like these are the wolves that are going on inside your head, right? And there's a guy standing on the side with a gun. Which one is the good wolf? <laughs> and then the one that, and then the one that wins is the one that you feed. And so, but if you're playing off of that, and August, I'm trying to find it where he says that evil is really just the absence of everything that's good. Sixty-two. Yeah. Sixty-two. Ha! I was right. Yes. Suck it. It's the last page that I read, <laughs> and I underlined it too. Ha! Take that. Uh, so I think the thing with the wolves example is that he, Augustine would agree with that because that's about your desires, and you can have good and bad desires. Mm-hmm. But when he says that he doesn't think there's such a thing as evil, capital E, I think what he's saying there is that there is no character or force akin to Satan or evil. I think, yeah, that's true, and I think, like, the hard, and I'm, like, I wrestle with this, is I'm, like, I think he's right, but he's not fully right, because he's saying, like, he sees it like there's a spectrum, right? He's saying that there's good on one side of the spectrum, that there's evil on the complete opposite end of no, I don't think... So. I well, think he says there's 100% good, and then there's, like, maybe 10%, you know, 10% good on the other end. But, and that's it's what he's that attributing, and that's what he's attributing to as evil. Right. Is that the less good that there is, like, so, yeah, so, like, on 0 to 100, where 0 is, like, complete absence of everything that's good. I don't good. think there is a 0 on his scale, for <laughs> goodness. 
So the, the quote is, I did not know that evil is nothing but the diminishment of good to the point where nothing at all is left. And that's where I said, like, you got zero from. But I don't think he thinks zero is ever reached. It's, it's just like, because the, the way that I see it is that, you know, like, if, and if I, the way that I read that is that, I don't, I don't know if this could be what he means, but like, what if apathy is his form of absolute evil? Actually, you know what it could be? Because of what he said about when he stole the pears. Right, or because the, the he, imitation. The, the imitation of it. Like, he just stole the pears just to steal the pears. He didn't get any good out of it. He didn't get anything that was positive or meaningful out of it. They weren't he even just, good pears. They weren't even good pears. And he didn't even eat all the pears. He, he got them and he threw them at pigs. We should talk about the pear. pears. Yeah. So that's what, maybe that's what it is. Maybe that's what he sees as something being completely evil, is that you're completely apathetic about it. And that because you don't have any sort of, not I don't know, goodness, but I guess maybe feeling or empathy for but one of the things he says in the section about the pair, he does say, oh, I didn't do it for any reason. But then he keeps examining it and says, well, I wouldn't have done it if I was alone. So I must have done it for some twisted understanding of companionship. He read right. a, he he made a lot of references to it and saying, like, yes. and he, that really tore his shit up. Like, yeah. it really messed with him, like, saying that, yeah, I stole a pair. Like, more so than anything else. Well, and then like, he also says he stole the pair in order to play God. Yeah. Yeah. So which, yeah, which did, one was it? Uh, did I wish... This is the in the uh, pair passage. Uh, did I wish, if only by gesture, to rebel against thy law, even though I had no power to do so, actually, so that even as a captive, I might produce a sort of counterfeit liberty... By doing with impunity deeds that were forbidden in a deluded sense of omnipotence. Yeah, like he, he was playing God with those pairs. Uh, what freedom do you think he means? That that was, I was confused by that as well. The, he he says, be like, that was my question too? <laughs> <laughs> no, you, it was your question. I just agreed with it. Because um, he says that he is... Because this is my translation. I don't know how y'all, y'all's is. Um, so did I wish, if only by gesture, rebel against thy law so that even as a captive, I might produce a sort of counterfeit liberty? Is he a captive to God? And or this, a captive to sin. Or a captive to sin. I think he was a. I think it's the latter. Because uh, for I, yeah. Caroline, and, uh, Caroline and I, it's on 41. Uh, it's like the last sentence, really. Um, I was in love with my own ruin, in love with, with decay. Not with the thing for which I was falling into decay, but with the decay itself. For I was a depraved, for I was depraved in soul, and I leapt down from your strong support into destruction. Hungering, not for some advantage to be gained by the foul deed, but for the foulness of it. So, he, yeah, so he's like, he's... He's seen freedom, like, he's seen that freedom from God because he's, like, he's playing God because he sees that same freedom, just, like, in this extremely, yeah, sinful way. Like, saying, like, so this is what it's like to be totally free, but also in sin. So, 
what freedom is he gaining when he steals the pair? Maybe just the ability to know that he can do it. Power. Power. The power. Yeah, because he doesn't even eat it, or he doesn't eat most of them. They just pick them and throw most of them away. Would he say that there is freedom or true freedom in the righteous life? That's an interesting question. Because it feels like he uses metaphors of freedom and captivity throughout the, these first six books. He, I felt like he used metaphors of captivity to say he was captive to his sin. Right. But I didn't have a clear sense for what freedom he would gain by being right. more religious and it, more righteous. Because certainly the argument is not a material freedom in this world. Because uh, if you're Augustine, you you basically delete all of your friends from Facebook and yeah. you don't have any kind of social connections or... That's not true. You can have friendship. They just have there has to be to other be... Christians. Right. And they have to be friendships praised in... I forget the exact wording, but like praised they... in the context of God. Like the friendship doesn't exist outside of God. Yeah. Nothing, they, nothing they, they cannot. They cannot be self-serving to you alone. Like you can't have friends to make yourself feel better. That's Augustine's thing i think that's what he was i forgot where he said that but i remember he was like yeah like i like when i was wanting friends it was because i wanted friends for my own sake and i was trying to imitate them and try to be like one of them and when i like because i wasn't the only one that was stealing pears i wasn't by myself i was with other people and that was my way of trying to fit in with all those other people was to steal all those pears too yeah yeah i don't uh, yeah it's later on i think this is book six or no book five uh, in chapter 16, he says, Yet of a truth, I love my friends for their own sakes and felt they in turn loved me for my own sake. O crooked ways, woe to the audacious soul, which hoped that by forsaking thee, it would find some better thing. So like loving your friends as independent people is not something that's that fits within his worldview. You have to love them as manifestations of God. That makes sense. I don't think it makes sense to Alex to seem mad about that. Maybe not mad. It's just because it brings back that whole thing of like, well, what the fuck is God? You know, and it's like because it brings back. It's like, okay, so we're supposed to praise this thing that I can't see, that I can't touch, that I can't feel, and yet he's everywhere all the time, has no sense of time, right? Right. And like everything to him, like he's in like a fifth dimensional being where he can move from one point in time to another, like how you can pick up your pen and drag it across the page to the other side because that's how God is. That's how yeah. God is okay. because because right. by that definition, you know, like you if if time is something that he can manipulate, then by our understanding, you know, he is eternal and he is everlasting. Right. But he is just there in his. In his yeah. world. In his yeah. world, he's just there all the time. Augustine is just in his... No, God is just in his world all the time. Because if time is something that he can manipulate, time is something that God can just, like, I can manipulate. pick up this manipulator on his own, then he is not affected by time in the same way that we are. A, a Sentences good... don't die yeah. right. with him. God can read a whole book in a second. In okay. a second, yeah. Yeah. Okay, what was the connection of friendship? I feel very lost. Or connection or the, to other the, people? The notion of uh like who like who God is, you know, like like how do you like like 
if all your if all of your friendships are based in God, you know, then my guess, like, what it comes back to me is like, well, who is God in this case? Right. Okay. I see. So, like, if you're like, like, you can't take any praise for yourself, right? You can't mm-hmm. take any praise for yourself. Like, our friendship can't take praise for just being a friendship. It has to be to this. It has to be honoring God in some right. form or fashion. Yeah. Everything has to be honoring God. And everything has to be honoring God. I forgot where it is um, in the Bible, but it says, you know, pray without ceasing. And that's exactly what it would be. So, like, and that's, that would be an example of that. It's like, you know, like, all of your friendships, like, everything that you do is just another manifestation of what God right. is. Mm-hmm. I saw that very differently. And maybe I, I glossed over it or didn't read it thoroughly enough, but in saying that you can only have true friendship that is based in God, it seemed to me that God is almost a way of knowing for humans, and you can't really know the truth about your friends until you are a a Christian in Augustine's view, and so that's how you, that's the only way to truly get close to them, Yeah, is to see the what he considers to be the full picture. Because certainly Augustine himself, even post-conversion, had friends, yeah. had very close friends. He even mentions Asepius mm-hmm. in the later books that we read, who was who became another bishop. Uh, but like, so so the friendship that he describes, maybe superficially we would say is similar to other friendships, but there's it's sort of heightened by this deeper theological commitment. Like, it doesn't mean that, like, you and your friends are just reading Bible verses to each other and you don't have any kind of camaraderie or companionship. It's just understanding the context in which that companionship emerges that differentiates them. Okay, I have, I have a question that matters to me a great deal. So, you have your friends and your close friends. You want to be lifelong friends with this person. So you yeah. want to be there for them through all the ups and downs, the small lives and deaths that comes over any the course of anyone's life, right? Right. That to me seems like a good friendship. I think Augustine would say that is just taking part in the evanescence of created things. That is just almost enjoying the transience of things. And he right. would say that's not... That's not right. So what do you enjoy or what do you love or what's the beauty in a friendship if it's not sticking around through all the changes and the little lives and deaths and the ups and downs of transient created life? What what is it? I think it's a fair question because I think because he addresses that, you know, he didn't come into Christianity like how all these other and I don't know, like how in terms of like the chron- like chronology of saints and everything are or like right. even like in Jesus's time like how he just like people were just like m- like immediately you know graced you know you know mm-hmm. God saw a favor on them and immediately they had grace and Augustine is very quick to say that wasn't me at all like I did right. not fall into this you he struggled. know he struggled a lot right and I think he still I don't know like how it is for the rest of the book but I feel like he still struggles. Right. Like if he struggled this early on here, I don't think that by attaining grace he wouldn't have struggled. But if you can see that everything that you're doing is 
part of, and this is what I struggle with, is part of what God wants us to experience. And if you can see it in that light, then that's what Augustine would classify as a true friendship. Because everything is done and lived through the lens of God. That's kind of how I'm seeing it as. Like being there for one another, being there through all those things. That's great. Yes, comma. And you're there for, and you recognize that God is ever present in those situations. Period. That's what Augustine would consider to be a true friendship, I think. Because okay. if everything is nested in God, and from the way that he starts the book in the very first, you know, like in how he says that um, everything is like, like God is everywhere, like he is, right. like, like we are a part of God, like God isn't a part of us. Um, that's how you recognize that there's a true friendship in everybody and everything. Or that's how you would, that's how you, that's, that, that's, I'm sorry, I said that wrong. That's where, that's what Augustine would consider to be a true friendship. Does it have to be between two believers only? Uh, I don't know yet. <laughs> I, I wonder if, and this is, I don't really have a textual thing, basis for this, but I wonder if it's sort of like, hold on to your friendships if you can, but be willing to let them go. Like, don't, like. You have to have kind of a paradoxical approach to it of it's fine to have close friendships, but don't lose sight of the greater context that they occur in. So maybe he would oppose trying to create a virtue out of, of forming very long, strong friendships as being necessarily preferable. Because in Augustine's view, like having a, a handful of really long, strong friendships is the same as having a bunch of transient friendships over your life because they're both manifestations of God. So picking a preference there is that the sin or is, is incorrect, is wrongheaded, but it doesn't mean that living one way or the other is bad. He, that, he also talks about his friend who dies and yeah. his grief for his friend is somehow wrong because he it was before he converted and he didn't know the real truth. Right. Yeah. That was hard for me to read. I don't yeah. understand how grief can ever be wrong. Right. Don't know. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, yeah, it's, it's <laughs> remarkably austere. Like he, you're not supposed to feel very many emotions if you're a good Christian. Right. You're only like, and that's something that I don't like too, is that unless you're a Christian, you're not supposed to feel anything for these people. Right. Like he, he, he beats himself up for, uh, feeling sorrow, going to plays and, and crying at the tragedies or uh, feeling any, like what, what emotions are acceptable for Augustine? You, assuming that they're somehow contextualized within godliness or whatever, what can you feel and not feel guilt about as a human? This doesn't answer your question, but even the way he talked about marriage was yes. very clinical. Yeah. Um, very. He, he didn't look forward to anything in it other than that it was righteous, from what I could see. Yeah. Was yeah, like, like another it's, thing. Is that in the later books or is that in the first few? It's a, it's a little bit later. It's a, okay. It's actually yeah. Because, yeah, because yeah. I, when he was mentioning it before, like how he was pissed of shit that his parents didn't arrange for him a marriage. Right. You know, because they just wanted the material because his parents just wanted that materialistic good that came out of life right. essentially 
Um, so that's why I was like, oh, so they mentioned it again. So I was like, oh, okay, that's that's neat that that, that they actually answer that question yeah. of marriage because it just paints his parents as just being, you know, dicks. Yeah. There was a, this is just a completely random thing, a very disturbing footnote that said that the legal age of marriage in Carthage was 12, and the marriage that his parents had arranged, she was two years too young to marry. So he was going to have to wait two years. Wait two years. Yeah. Uh, He did back out of, he did not, he did jump out of that marriage, or before it happened, but that's... Kind of disgusting. It's pretty disturbing. Yeah, let's read something that's disturbing in a different way. Um, (laughs) Page 85, it is book four, chapter eight. He consoles himself after the death of his friends with other friends. Page 85? Yes, middle of the paragraph, middle 13. What restored and recreated me above all was the consolation of other friends, in whose company I loved what I was loving as a substitute for you. This was a gross fable and a long-sustained lie. And as our minds itched to listen, they were corrupted by its adulterous excitation. But the fable did not die for me when any of my friends died. Jesus. <laughs> so he's saying, I loved my friends even after they died. And that was wrong. Yeah. I'm such a piece of shit. I love my friends so much. Yeah. I'm a member of my community. Um, is this what... I mean, is this what he considers to be? Because I know that he says that at that, you know, from a purely just remembering everything from my catechism days, that you know that original sin was born out of Adam and Eve, and that from Adam and Eve, you know, it's inherent with every person, right? Since then, and that you're only right. saved by it through the baptism. You know, pause. I'm not sure that's what he said. And well, I I, I get that, but yeah. what like, but what if this like he realizes that it's wrong and that it's wrong and that it's wrong? I don't know because I'm like this is where I take a more theological approach to, like, what is he really saying about original sin? Like, why is it wrong for a kid, you know, to like want something, you know, just for his own self interest, as opposed to like not listening to his parents. And why is it wrong that he still grieves his friends after they've died? Why is it, like, why is that wrong? Why is that wrong? Why is that a sin? Because, you, like, because like if, just to be simplistic about it, if it's wrong in this book, and if Augustine sees that it's wrong, he sees it that it's a sin that right. he's committing. So why is it a sin? Why is it, like, is it something, because... It sounds almost like human nature for, like, if you were to die or if Caroline to die, were to die, I'm going to grieve right, the loss. Yeah. Of course, you would grieve the loss of your friends. You would grieve the loss of your friends, but because they're not, you know, an inherent, they're not from, they, they weren't, this friendship wasn't, you know, started with and ends with God. Why is that wrong? Like, why is that a sin? Yeah, why and is, is that and is that human nature? Because it seems like it'd be human nature for it to be right to just to, to, to feel just that grieve, way. To feel yeah. that way. Why yeah. is it a sin for it to be human? Why is human nature in that case a sin? Right. Um, That's what I'm asking. Is like, is that what he means by original sin? Is that your? Well, he doesn't use that term. No, he doesn't. He doesn't use human nature, but he like or original sin. Or original he? sin. 
I, all I know is that Augustine was a dude who created, who coined original sin. That I, mean, like I know for a fact. Or something. Yeah. And maybe if that's later on in the book, but I know for a fact mm-hmm. that original sin was born from this dude. It's in a lot of the passages where he's talking about it, about, about why these types of emotions are sad. It's usually because he suffered unnecessarily because he didn't have this knowledge about God, about the transience of life, about like him expressing that emotion reflected his deeper ignorance. Like, why would you grieve about your dying friend when you know that, you know, they have the possibility of eternal life and the afterlife and that everything here is transient. Like it's almost, it's stupid. It's ignorant to, to feel sad about death when death is just the inherent nature of the temporal world. Well, and also maybe even if you were a true believer, somehow death isn't real to you. Yeah. Which I think that, you could argue. Yeah. yeah. But it, it seems one thing to say, yes, you know, there is an overcoming of death in this religion and another to fault someone for grieving. For grieving, yeah. That is a leap I have, I'm struggling with. It's difficult. To add a little twist into the discussion, earlier on in, I believe this is, yeah, this is book one, he he talks about uh it's uh chapter 11 in my edition um and he talks he's very young and his mother is christian and uh she sort of contemplates baptizing him but decides against it Uh, and he says that if he had been you know baptized earlier or he had converted earlier this would have been far better in truth uh, but how many and great the waves of temptation which appeared to hang over me as I grew out of childhood. These were foreseen by my mother, and she preferred that the unformed clay should be risked to them rather than the clay modeled after Christ's image. And there's sort of a, a trend throughout the book where Augustine is constantly you know, castigating himself for having these errors in thought or making these sins. But like if you step back and look at the journey of his life, it was through sinning, it was through having this fallen life that he was able to attain this greater knowledge of, of Christ. For him personally and for the reader. And for the reader. I wouldn't enjoy this book if yeah. it wasn't a journey. Yeah, if, if, you, if he was baptized right out of the gate, never committed any sins or was like completely enlightened, like in, in a way is he arguing, or if we follow this rationale to its conclusion, that you would want to have a period of sin prior to salvation. Like, maybe that's, a, maybe that's a bit of a leap, but it seems to be that Augustine discovers this deeper, deeper nature of the world by having such wide and varied human experiences. So, much, so many varied experiences in the temporal world is he able to discover, let's say, all the commonalities between them, which is Christ. So maybe in a way, he's, he's very harsh on himself, or very harsh on people for grieving about loss, but maybe the subtext there is you could only ever realize that after having a lot of grief, about after after going through that experience. So maybe he's not arguing that like you should feel really bad about yourself for grieving your dead friend, but that you need to pass through those kinds of experiences to realize ultimately, oh, it's foolish to worry about death or worry about the death of your friends. So Maybe this is, you know, not, maybe it's a bit of a leap, but like... I mean, I think the question is, is how much of mature Augustine is what everyone is supposed to 
be or pursue or is the ideal versus right. how much of the struggling and journey, Augustine, right. are we supposed to maybe not try to emulate, but be capable of emulating? Right. Yeah. yeah. Like the struggle of getting there is what, what matters. It's the journey, not the, not the end point. Right. No, I mean, the end point matters a lot. Well, the end point matters a lot, yeah. Right, Right, yeah. I mean, he clearly, well, actually, I don't know. He doesn't mention the word help. But there are clearly things at stake. Yeah, but he he places a huge emphasis at the same time as that. I wouldn't be the person that I am today had I not gone through these scenes. I would have not known what evil was had I not lived the life that I lived. I wouldn't know what sin was unless I committed and a grave sin. And that kind of answers the problem of why are we alive? Why not just die and go to the good heaven? If if there wasn't any value in this struggle, in this progress to get there, then that sort of then then the theology of of God sort of falls apart. So there has to be some reason that this struggle exists, that this that this transient and temporal life exists. I agree, but I don't know that Augustine says that. Right. I, I don't think that if you... I feel like I'm trying to read subtext into this, and maybe that's not legitimate, uh, because Ed, he is so harsh and so colorless in, in, in yeah, when what he says. In, is, when he's harsh, he's, he's fucking brutal. Yeah. He's yeah. mean. And, I mean, maybe this is just a fundamental contradiction of this work in that it is effective as a work because it shows a journey, but the man himself thinks everyone should spring out maturely right. righteous early on. Right. He's blaming like a child version of himself for not like being baptized and being a good Christian immediately right off the bat. Yeah. Like, but at the same time, how can everyone still relate to this book? Because, yeah. yeah, but I mean, it's like, you know, like if, like he says, all right, I'm going to write this because I'm an amazing rhetorician this is going to be some fucking amazing thing. This is going to be a great work. And he writes it, and everybody can relate to it, and kind of like how he's saying, you need to be saved, or else, you know, like, this is why you need to be saved earlier on, because look at all this bad shit that I did. Look at all this bad shit that you're capable of doing, too. So you need to be saved early on. Maybe, is he being a martyr of some sorts? By writing this confession, like his life should be an example to everyone that follows. That don't don't do what I did. Yeah, don't. Yeah. It should be an instruction. Instruction. Yeah. yeah. Maybe, but you asking why does why is this book still read made me think about. I think I think it is natural. I think everyone blames themselves for sins or errors they committed when they were younger, very possibly even very young. And the answer is you were too young to know you haven't learned that lesson yet but everyone does it right everyone has some idea of i could have done better and do we would we want to get rid of that i mean what kind of answer is it to say to people well it's just your journey and you had to go through it and yeah it seems like a heartless piece of shit answer is really what it sounds like enjoyable or comforting or good right no because you went through and you feel like crap afterwards and then some and then for someone to come up and callously tell you Oh, don't worry. You're only 28. You know, like, you don't right. know better. And I was like, go fuck yourself, man. You don't it know. It takes away a lot of agency. It takes, yeah. Like, okay, maybe if I... So I didn't make good decisions at the time, but are you going to take away my ability to believe that I could have? Because I will fight you on that, right? Yeah, right. Like, I that's need a, to believe it could have been done differently. Right. But, and maybe Augustine is is granting people, yeah, more agency in that way, because for you to have 
for someone to have learned and grown from their past experiences, that often requires saying, like, I was wrong. Like, there was a decisive judgment. Like, I made the yeah. wrong mistake. And and if Augustine were to, to hem and haw about those past things, then, then as you say, it wouldn't have been granting himself agency. He wouldn't have grown. Like, the harshness has to, like, it almost like he, he has, has to, to have be. that corrective of being harsh, even if, like, maybe the subtext here is like, oh, of course, everyone is going to go through these experiences or, or is going to have a, a naughty and tangled journey to God, but you can't like, well, it says to me, there's almost an epistemology, whatever, a way of knowing issue about it because, okay, so you go through your life, you make the errors that you make, but it's only when you look back in judgment, you know, using your brain to analyze that decision that you actually learn a lesson and so you can only move forward and change if you go back and you are somewhat harsh. Right. There are degrees of harshness. I'm going to tell every, you know, I'm not telling people to be endlessly hard on themselves, but you have to do this mental exercise of imagining how much better you could have been. What was the ideal? Right. And if you don't do that, you're just passing through phases. Everything is truly a phase. Everything is a phase. And that's, it's almost in doing that, uh, Augustine has adopted the mentality of God who doesn't see time. He sees your entire life spread out in front of you at once. And so your sins when you were a kid and the sins that you have when you're older are weighted equally, right? Like what, what purpose is, you know, like there's no, as he says, there's no time for God. There's no, God sees everything all at once. He knows how everything will develop. Um, that's not to say that, you know, God is extraordinarily harsh on children, but like you have to have that mentality in order to live a holy life, right? Yes. I think the problem though with going back and looking in hindsight to what your life is like, it's very easy to fall into that slippery slope and just completely see yourself as this horrible person. What's wrong with that? That you're not fixing those errors. It's Thank one thing to say that that was really bad, right? I did this back. I stole those pairs. That was really bad. Comma. I really wish I didn't steal that car. Comma. I feel bad. Comma. I feel bad. And then right. keep repeating and repeating me. and repeating and repeating and repeating the same mistake. It's in that you're, it's, I think what Augustine is saying is like you achieve that virtue, you achieve that state of grace when you can, effectively look back at your life and say this was the error of my ways this is how i can correct it right and that's like and it's like it's one thing to look back at your life and see that you messed up it's a completely different thing to look to move forward in life and on a changed path from what you were when you made those mistakes. Right. Right. Yeah. To and, correct and, your and to correct all of those sins that you did wrong. You but, can't yes. fix the past, but you can change how things are gonna happen in the future. Right. But okay. That all being true, I think we should talk about how babies sin now. Yeah. <laughs> because I mean we're talking about journeying, you know, learning what your past faults were and trying to correct them. What good does it do to know you that you as an infant sinned? Right. I mean that. At one point, he's like, "I don't even know when my in innocence started, but it started prior to birth." <laughs> yeah, yeah so and that's that's why I was like, you know, like so, like that's like, does he think that human nature is a sin? You know, because it's kind of like, 
And if human nature is a sin, and if we, and if you, and if God made all humans, right. why the fuck did you create something that was eternally born in sin? Yeah. Why it's, did you make something that wasn't, you know, right? That, that, that object that you made something like I'm going to make something that objectively doesn't want to follow me. That I'm going to give it the choice whether or not it should follow me or not, even though I am the highest thing that could possibly be. It's like, why do that? In the first right. place, why why create a why create an imperfect that, world an imperfect right. world, and that's something that I hope that this book answers because that's you know as yeah. the Catholic that's something that I wrestle with and that you know and when he asked those questions early on I'm like oh that's cool and then he never really answered them I was like oh well that yeah. kind of <laughs> sucks um, I think we should read that that section more closely. Which one? Which uh, one? So it's book one, chapter seven, pages 12 and 13 in ours, student. We should also note that the translation that we're reading, or the publication that we're reading, is from uh, Maria Boulding. Just what in case anybody it? wanted to know. Seven. So, so Ignatius Critical Editions. Uh, what, was, what then was my sin at that age? Was it perhaps that I cried so greedily for those breasts? And then jumping down a paragraph... The only innocent feature in babies is the weakness of their frames. The minds of infants are far from innocent. I have watched and experienced for myself the jealousy of a small child. He could not even speak, yet he glared with livid fury at his fellow nursling. Yeah, yeah that's... <laughs> but but yeah. I mean, isn't this all an extension of the, the idea that evil is distance from God or a, a lack of God? Clearly this... this temporal world is lacking God in Augustine's view. So everything has to be like anything passing through time uh, and decaying, which uh, even an infant, even as young as it is, is still aging would have that quality, that distance from God. It must be that it sins. It must be that it has sin. But there seems to me a difference between calling out particular actions like here he's jealousy and greed Right. And saying that we are all in some general condition as sinful, well, because right. the, the but, latter you could say applies to animals. Yeah, but then that, you, but at the same time, you know, that kid doesn't know any better. You know, like even further on in that passage, you know, it says, you know, like you know, like everyone has seen this, and then skipping yeah. a sentence, it's like it is to be regarded as innocence. This refusal of this refusal to tolerate a rival for a richly abundant fountain of milk at a time when the other child stands in the greatest need of it and depends very fully on this food alone. Behavior of this kind is cheerfully condoned, however, not because it is trivial or of small account, but because everyone knows that it will fade away as the baby grows up. So it's like, is it like kind of like what Alex was saying earlier? It's like how since God sees everything at the same time that all the sins are laid out, since God, since God doesn't have has no perception of time, because right. He is above time, you know, as Alex was saying that you know all sins are weighed equally, right? Like yeah, how you or were saying they they appear. I mean, I don't know if Augustine says they're weighed all equally, but, but I think, but like, like he, they are seen all at once. They are seen all at once. They're seen yeah. all at once. God comprehends. The God comprehends time. whether or not like the severe. I think the like just to continue what you were saying right. there. God comprehends the severity of that sin because he sees it as, okay, it's just this tiny little dot here as opposed to this massive, you know, 
right. sin that you com- that you committed here. It's like you were jealous that someone else got more milk than you at this one point in time. It's like okay, that's a minor thing, but later on you're gonna experience a thing where you're gonna steal like thirty pears and kill three pigs with those pears. Right. Yeah. So there's a sense of scale. There's here. a sense of scale here. I mean, right. I would hope that God had a sense of scale. Well, it's not all uniform. Yeah, and it's just not all uniform. Sins, but... And that thing, though, but that's where it also counts, though, is that because everyone knows that it will fade away as the baby grows up. As you grow older, hopefully you realize that what you did back then when you were, when you were a child or when you were younger, that that was wrong. Or that certain things has more meaning as opposed to other things. And that's why some things are seen as innocuous and some things are seen as more serious to you right now. But later on when you're like, as you live on, like that was like, why did I worry about that when I should have been worrying about this? Does that make sense? I feel like we're mixing up how I would view the sins I committed as an infant how society viewed those sins and how God does. Right. I think going That's... back to what you said earlier of like drawing a distinction between the condition of sin that we'd say animals have and these more personal sins of jealousy, or whatever. I don't think that that distinction necessarily exists. I think that animals are sinful because they kill each other and they're jealous and wrathful or whatever. I, I think that that distinction is one that at the very least, Augustine would not really permit because at any stage you could say this is just a phase of my life. This is why I was lustful or uh, jealous or or envious or whatever. That you you need to apply that uniformly to actually achieve the sort of relationship to God that that he wants. Even if it's like even if we would say fucking bullshit as an infant you're not sinning in order to to actually have this relationship with God, you have to make that sort of irrational leap. I mean, I'm not sure it is irrational. Or not irrational. It seems unintuitive, maybe. I would not say that animals are capable of sin, but they are certainly capable of participating in a temporal life where they are born, grow, and die. A dying world. Yes. So there seems... To me, and what you said brought this out, I think there's a distinction between a temporal world, which he says is somehow fallen, maybe an indicator of sin, and an actual sin. So just being a creature in the world is not necessarily sinful, although you're participating in a temporal life, which is inherently lesser. Right. That's not necessarily, that's not the same thing as a sin. Right. Sinful. So just some someone living in nature, not interacting with anyone, just living for their own survival, like a feral human or something, would they be free from sin? I don't think anyone is free from sin, but I don't think that participating in temporal, worldly up and down things is a sin or an indication of sin. Why don't you think people are free from sin? Well, in that example about some guy surviving out in nature, it seems like there are a whole host of sins he could be committing even if there aren't people around. Like what? Like lust in his thoughts. I mean, by Augustine's By Augustine's definition account, of sins, right? yeah. Um, well, what if he had never seen, like, 
let's let's follow this thought experiment to okay. tease out. Let's take a, a a human baby and turn him into a savage man. Yeah. Savage man. Uh, they never see another member of the opposite sex or same sex if they're gay. So it's like they don't even have. They don't never see a mirror in there. They live just truly in the wild. How can they commit lust in this way? They can't, but they're probably other sins. Greed, intemperance, lack of prudence. So, so okay, so let's... But, like, aren't a lot of those defined in relationship to other people? Like, what would they be greedy for? What would they be... I mean, I think it's in... I think those are defined in relation to your own appetites. So, sometimes I eat when I'm not hungry. (laughs) I eat a lot when I'm not hungry. That is and intemperance and I know I shouldn't do it I'm not enjoying it why am I doing it but I do it so I, I think there that may not be a great example like I don't sloth, like to like an example sloth, of sloth like things you know you should be doing and you're not doing them I don't think all sins are social if that were the case then so that a man living in in a completely animal state would still be committing sins left and right just by virtue of living in that just by virtue of living in the world wouldn't that be true for animals as well as I saying, even if we abstract this human out of society and they're still just committing sins, well, even unknowingly, wouldn't that mean that, that that's true of the entire world? That we can say animals, that we can say infants, that we can say all of the world that we live in is constantly just emanating sin off of it. Well, then it would be valid to say that an infant was committing sins as well, too, right? He says, I think, somewhere that humans are closer to God. Than animals. Than animals, yes. Yeah. And I think... And I hope I'm not bringing in outside stuff when I say this, because I am pretty sure he references something like a, a staircase of divinity. You know, God's at right. the top, humans mm-hmm. are next closest. I yeah, don't know. Uh, Mammals, fish, it goes on. You know, insects bottom, insects are the lowest step. Yeah. Fuck Except- centipedes. <laughs> But bees are virtuous, so they're like higher up. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But then you, but then you get to so why there are not so many of them. But not wait, wait. Okay, on, on the staircase, so you get past any living thing. Now we have the inanimate things. What are the most holy inanimate things? Like crosses and Bibles and shit? No, but, that feels that feels like that doesn't go to their substance. Right. But, Some well, rocks are clearly better than other rocks. But like, uh, clearly, okay, so clearly things like Bibles and crucifixes or whatever would be above insects. They would clearly not be below all of these garbage animals, but would they? Yeah, be- I think, I think human-made objects would actually that are infused with some divine and some creativity. I'd make the argument they're above animals. They're above animals, so there's like, or this maybe not. I don't know. The special of motion is pretty divine, and animals have that. So I don't so, know. So there would be some special class of like cool objects yep. that exist. So it's God, humans, cool objects, animals. And then shitty objects like garbage and... Yeah. Yeah, that's how... That's how I see it working, yeah. Yeah. But anyway, because the staircase <laughs> exists, I, that's, I think humans sin in proportion to rejecting God, but animals didn't have that option. Does that seem like something Augustine said? <laughs> because honestly... Well, I mean, one of the tricks with reading a religious text is that... Most people come in with a lot with their, of baggage. There's a lot of baggage. And, yeah. like, and, and I, I can't it's, it's remember really if hard. I read that here or somewhere and else. it's really yeah, hard right? to separate that baggage yeah. when you're reading this and not have a very deeply profound personal right. relation to it. And it's like, yeah, and, that, I, and I struggled with that too. And I was reading this and I'm like, shit, like, how do I extract, how do I turn this into 
I don't know why, but it seems that reading the Bible would be easier than reading this because it would be easier it's to more read direct. The, it's more direct, but it's also way more allegorical, and it's it's like it's so much like it's easier to see it as okay. Why did it take you forty years to cross from Egypt to Israel? When I can just go on Google Maps and it tells me that it takes me like 23 days to do that. <laughs> like, why does it, like, why did it take you 40 years? Like, well, you know, like With maybe. this mixture of fact and This mixture of fact and literature and just like your own personal thoughts yeah. that are mixed into this. You know, it's not as symbolic as the Bible is. That's right. what I was trying to say. Because Augustine is interpreting and relating to an allegorical work. And yet we're also reading his interpretation allegorically. There's like it's it's really I mean, it's it's really it's it, it's difficult. There's no other way to say it. It's difficult yeah. because and I was kind of hard on you earlier when you said original sin because he doesn't use that, and to me it means something slightly different than the way he uses it. But we both walked in with what we thought our definition of that term was. And I'm sure Alex had a totally different one as the according to the Manicheans, there is no yeah. original sin. Yeah. Thank you. There's uh, just the essence. <laughs> the essence. <laughs> yeah. I what something I absolutely love about this is is like how hard he is on like these minor metaphysical differences. Like I, I was such a foolish, horrible heretic believing that it was a dyad and not a monad. <laughs> yeah. Like how could I possibly think the Holy Spirit was a cube? He's clearly a sphere. I mean, yeah. Like. Ah. Was, <laughs> like like just like throws himself, but then yeah, like that's the same as like going to gla- like a killing a man in the street or, uh, I don't know, like but like when he talks about the Manichaeans, you're like, hey, yeah, it was stupid back then, and they didn't really know what they were talking about, you know, right. like he just yeah. and then he just really just does it as like a like a little blurb, and that's it, you know. Well, in the other books, he, he oh, goes he kind goes, of in detail, goes into detail about, about it. Detail. There's yeah. some yeah. detail, yeah. Yeah. which yeah. itself is kind of hilarious because this book has stood the test of time. And I feel like the only reason we know anything about the Manicheans is because he wrote about them. Right. But of course, at the time, they were a big deal. Big deal. He had yeah. no idea they would just pass away and yeah. not at all be relevant. <laughs> there were so many different religious movements. There was the, there was the Gnostics who believed, who had kind of a similar frame of reference of like, yeah, we live in an imperfect world. And that's because our God is imperfect, because yeah. God fucked up. And so the goal of spirituality is transcending that which is a much more elegant solution in a lot of ways well and i like i I like doing the whole thing that like you know that and he even says that you know like we're all made in the image of god or whatever like he says in the very first like book right yeah and like i always like that idea like a like an imperfect god you know like because you know and like just like you like every like everybody's seen it you know like you just see this ugly person like they like right physically they're just an atrocious looking right creature that's also human this is so sad and yeah. but like and it, like and like and it's like and if you're all made in the image of god you know i can imagine you know god you know like he has like a fifth of whiskey there with him and right, he's just yeah. like down and he's like oh but, and he's painting it and he's painting it, and then he wakes up the next morning and he's hung over and he's like i think i did something last night and then he picks up the painting and it's this person and he picks up and he's like Oh, fuck. And then he's like, oh, crap. Right. Now I have to make this it, person. It's like God in a sketch comedy show. Like, yeah, yeah I just really want to go play racquetball. Or what, <laughs> like, uh, that kind of God is, is simpler in a lot of ways. And so the, the project that someone like Augustine has to, to reconcile that is much more philosophically fraught and difficult, it seems. 
to, 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 to just be like, yeah, you know, we're all imperfect and we're constantly sinning because God is a fuck up is simpler metaphysically, it seems. Is it? How could it be a God if it is a fuck up? It's just a more powerful being, right? But then it's not a God. Well, it's a God as people in the as a, as world a human would As a humanistic God in that sense. Right. Yeah. I don't know. I'm not persuaded. <laughs> well, what I'm getting at is just that is less logical to me. Right. Being as I am very much bathed in Christian metaphysics and right. all that, that doesn't make any sense to me. Yeah. Why would a God be imperfect? He's God. Wouldn't he fix himself? It's powerful. Or her? So? Yeah. yeah. You can f- it, th- that God would have control over this world, but maybe not over themselves. So it's just like nesting worlds? Yeah, it's nesting Matryoshka worlds. Matryoshka dolls of worlds? That is, the Gnostics... Is, don't you eventually get to the ultimate Matryoshka doll? Exactly. That's Thank the, you. That's the God of gods. The, the, the Gnostics, you, you like have to skip over a few shitty worlds <laughs> to get to the... <laughs> That's what that's sort of the loophole is that Well like we have to get past our shitty world to get to the good world. Right, yeah. The Gnostics are just kicking the can down the road. This is also extremely difficult. Yes, yeah. it is. So, yeah. so do we have any remaining questions? <laughs> well, this is because we're gonna have a part we're gonna have a part two and a part three and a part, and a part three, three where we yeah. cover but still, all this. But still it's like is there any remaining questions? I feel like we got a lot of questions. <laughs> we got a lot of questions. Uh, we, not think, a lot of answers. Yeah. I don't know. Yeah, I mean it's kind of weird to do this segment because we might cover all of this stuff in later. Maybe stuff that we think that the, the later books will talk about that we want that we're interested in. I, I do have one or two serious questions going forward. Okay. How do you can you embrace and find beauty in temporal things as a righteous man or woman? Yeah. According to Augustine. Like in their in their as temporal things. Yeah. That yeah. or just enjoy them as you're passing by or anything like that. Right. How Is, do you relate to these things? Is it just pure denial or not? Right. Yeah. Similarly, how do you have friends? How do you have friends? Yeah. First oh, question. Man. Oh, fuck. First yeah, question I found an answer to. The second question. Uh, it's hard. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I'm more curious about the staircase. I want him in like book seven or eight to just be like, all right, let's talk about the staircase. There's a diagram. There's a staircase. Yeah. He, he drew a diagram in his fucking papyrus. See yeah. Appendix A for this. Um, no, I, I, uh, similarly, it's like, what is the Christian life supposed to be? Like, what is, what uh, is a daily day? Yeah. (laughs) I I feel that there, there is this subtextual element of like, like I have to, I have to be harsh at every stage of my life, but clearly no one is like this. Mm -hmm. And I'm, I'm hoping that there's more clues that he, he sort of tips his hand because there is at one point where he's like, there, there are types of sins that are productive that push you on the right path. But yeah, that's, I'll be curious of that going forward. I'm still very much stuck on the whole sin is human nature, like human nature is, because it sounds like that's what he's alluded to, that as a human, you can't escape You it. can't escape Even sin. if you're a wild man yeah. in the jungle. Like how, yeah. like, and my question would be, and we kind of, we, we did ask it, you know, and it's just like, you know, why would God make such an imperfect creature in that case? Right. Yeah. Like, why would you, like, what would be the point of making right. that thing? The... 
Uh, right. Yeah, uh, the yeah. next reading is uh, chapters or books, I guess, seven, eight, and nine. Seven, eight, and nine, yeah. Got a lot of reading to do. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, you got time, and it's only three compared to the six we read today. True. So, so, uh, so yeah. Um, um, well, that's it. This was Book Rats. We we can now fill in the oh, yeah. the thing on the fucking thing. thing. Yeah. This was this was, this was Book blank. Rats. You know what? Uh, I'm gonna fill it in. Are you Don't gonna spell me. it so we have to say it the way you said it at the beginning? Wait, what? <laughs> you were like Book, Book Rats. Rats. Book Rats. Book Rats. <laughs> Uh, that was book rants. The, the, the podcast where we read books and where we talk about them. Uh, until next time. It's been nice. Bye.